This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 279. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 20 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Brian Summers seemed like he had everything going his way. After serving for five years in the elite PSYOPs division of the Military Intelligence Directorate, he retired from active duty to form a breeding cell with two of his fellow PSYOPs, Fiona Hinconnell and Sasha King. Soon the Metamore Hive sent them a fourth member, Rebecca Brower, a longtime friend of theirs who had just finished college and was ready to settle down. It wasn't long before Rebecca was pregnant with the cell's first child. But in the Psy Collective, every good thing comes with strings attached. The Hive drafted Brian, Fiona, and Sasha for a dangerous mission, stealing a smuggled package from the Vampire Syndicate. The box was coming from a bioweapons research lab overseas, and whatever it contained, the Hive didn't want to risk letting the Vamps keep it. Unfortunately, the attempted theft ended in disaster, thanks in part to a runner working on the syndicate side. Callie Linder has a supernatural chaos aura, which leads to uncannily good luck for her, and catastrophically bad luck for anyone working against her. Callie intercepted Fiona as she was about to make off with the package, and while she assured Fiona that it wasn't anything personal, she did have to fulfill the contract she'd been given. The Hive did not take kindly to the failure of Brian's team. The summer cell was visited by an elder, who warned Brian that his status as cell husband was now under review. The Hive would be watching them closely over the next several months. After that, they would decide whether Brian would be allowed to keep this family that had been entrusted to him. After the elder left, Brian and his wives turned to each other with looks of fear, pain, and stubborn determination. We have to find out what was in that package, Brian said. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 20 
How does it look? Sasha closed her eyes and extended her thoughts, taking in the emotional undercurrents of the restaurant as they entered. She could sense the occasional grumbling patron whose food hadn't been cooked properly, or a woman complaining about her boyfriend to a shopping companion. But for the most part, the people there seemed reasonably content. Sasha guessed that the bright, sunny weather outside was helping everyone's mood, though she and her cellmates were still anxious and wary. I'm not picking up any strong negative emotions, she said. If it's a trap, they're really calm about it. Brian nodded once and pushed his glasses a bit higher on his nose. Bex, anything? Rebecca bit her lip and shook her head. No, no trouble. Not that I can see, anyway. A pair of reflective sunglasses hid the glow of her eyes as she searched the restaurant's hidden nooks and corners with her clairvoyance. I... I don't think there are any guns or wands within Esping range, she added. Sorry, I'm new at this. Sasha took her hand and squeezed it encouragingly. You're doing great, she whispered. Rebecca smiled a little, but it didn't reach her eyes. Sweetheart that she was, Rebecca didn't know the first thing about PSYOPs, but right now they desperately needed her ESP. Not only could she see around corners, but her precog would warn her if something dangerous was about to happen around her. So far she hadn't complained once, and Sasha gave her credit for being brave under circumstances she had never prepared for. Brian turned to Fiona. You see our contact? Fiona scanned the room impassively as they walked further in, ignoring the sign that said, Please wait here to be seated. Halfway to the back wall, she turned and gestured for the others to follow her. The woman was seated in the back corner of the restaurant, in a semicircular booth designed for large groups. She had a glass of cola in front of her, but apparently hadn't ordered her food yet, judging from the menu spread out before her. She nodded at Fiona as they approached, and Fiona returned the gesture. Sasha knew what to expect, but she was still a little surprised when she saw the woman up close. She was barely more than a kid. Then again, Sasha hadn't been any older when she joined MID. Fiona slid into the booth first, putting herself closest to their contact, followed by Sasha and then Brian, who tucked a small briefcase under his seat as he climbed in. Rebecca took the seat nearest the edge, carefully lowering herself into position. The teenaged runner pulled the table closer to herself to make more room for Rebecca's belly. Didn't know this was going to be a family outing, the runner said, looking at Fiona. Fiona shrugged, a careful and deliberate raising and lowering of her shoulders. I told you that I would bring the rest of my team. Rebecca is a part of it. Rebecca smiled nervously. The runner grinned and raised a hand in greeting. Pleased to meet you, she said. My name's Callie. We know who you are, Miss Linder, Brian assured her. We pulled your files before we called this meeting. The Lothanasi have some very interesting records on you. Sasha felt the ripple of surprise that ran through Callie at Brian's words, but the runner didn't let any of it show on her face. I'll bet they do she said, smiling sweetly. But I guess there isn't anything too terrible in there, given that you're here talking to me. Brian spread his hands. 
let's just say that the idea of genetically ingrained luck explains a lot about why your mission succeeded and ours failed. Kelly raised her glass in silent acknowledgement, then took a drink from her soda before answering. It helps, I don't deny it, she said. What I'm trying to figure out is why a money manager, a shrink, a net jockey, and a painter would need to steal a smuggled package in the first place. You've been out of MID service for a while, after all, and there's no record of any of you working in private security. She took another drink. Officially, anyway. Rebecca gasped. How do you know all that? She whispered. Callie winked. Your hubby's not the only one with sources, kiddo. She turned back to Brian. So, now that the pissing contest is out of the way, why don't you tell me why I'm here? We want to hire you, Brian said. We know that the package that you smuggled in belongs to the Vampire Syndicate. We need to find out what was inside it, and whether it poses a threat to the Psy Collective. We've brought cash. Twenty mark bills, all circulated and non-sequential. He tapped his foot against the briefcase under the table. The runner nodded, as if she'd been expecting this. Sasha just hoped that it was a good use of the money. The Hive had been loath to part with it, but Fiona had explained that it was absolutely essential for their mission to have any chance of success. Even then, she might not have been able to persuade them, but she had received some unexpected support when Miriam Bakhtivar spoke out in favor of the plan. Elder Bakhtivar was arguably the most famous and respected egoist in the Collective, and with her backing, the Hive quickly approved the needed financial support. Sasha wasn't sure why the Elder had taken such an interest in the situation, but with the opposition they had encountered from the Hive as a whole, she was grateful to have at least one ally in a position of prominence. "'I'm afraid I won't be able to tell you much,' Callie said." Anybody who hires a runner knows that our loyalties are flexible once the job is done, so the smart ones limit how much they tell us. Until Fiona here opened the courier's parcel, I didn't have any idea what was inside it. I still don't know what was on the data cards, or inside that little box. We understand, Brian assured her. Why don't you set the price for the information, based on how much you can tell us? Smooth, Sasha thought. By making the runner set the price... Brian was giving her the chance to establish what kind of person she was. If she extorted a lot of money from them and gave them little in return, they would know that they couldn't trust her with any further work. If she set a fair price for what she gave them, she would leave the door open for the second part of their request. Callie furrowed her brow in thought for a moment. Two thousand, she said at last. I feel bad for you that your friends were killed, so I'm giving you a discount. Brian opened the briefcase under the table and pulled out a centimeter-thick packet of bills, which he then passed around to Callie. The runner flicked through the stack and nodded before sticking it inside her jacket pocket. All right, here's the deal, she said. The parcel was addressed to William Westerson. You probably haven't heard of him. He runs a local security firm called Viscount Security Solutions. I've heard of Viscount, Brian said. I've never worked with them, but they have a good reputation in the business. Yeah, but here's the thing. Westerson's also one of the key captains in Malcolm Ardvalis's organization. I've done work for him before, on other ops similar to this one. 
My mentor told me once that he was the intelligent czar for the whole outfit in Metamore City. He studies their enemies, figures out their strengths and weaknesses, and then figures out how to deal with them. Sasha was getting a sinking feeling in her stomach. No wonder the elders are worried. If this Westerson is involved, it sounds like the Collective is next on his hit list. How did you know who was going to try to steal the package? Brian asked. Fiona said that you referred to her as Agent Alpha Niner. Obviously, you were expecting her, specifically, so who tipped you off? Callie shrugged. We were briefed on a bunch of potential agents who might try to disrupt the mission. Fiona was near the top of the list, but it wasn't all spookies. I don't know who provided the intel. What about the rogue telekinetic who is working with you? Fiona asked, her eyes cold and hard. Collective agents reported that Philippe Devereaux helped you to carry out your mission. Did he not provide you with inside information? Callie's lips settled into a thin line. Let's get one thing straight. I don't sell out other runners. You can buy my services. You can buy information about my former employers. You can even buy my silence if your money is good enough. But I do not give out the identities of the people I work with. Especially not to people who are probably out for revenge. Sasha didn't need to be a telepath to sense the anger behind the other woman's words. She shared a glance with the others, and they all decided that it would be a bad idea to tell her that Devereaux had already been killed for his betrayal. If that's the way you feel about us, she asked, then why are you helping us? Callie snorted. A runner can't afford to hold grudges, especially not other people's. The fact that you're here talking instead of trying to kill me tells me that you can be reasonable. As long as you respect the way I operate, that's good enough for me. Brian nodded once. All right, so you delivered the package to Westerson. What can you tell us about the facility where it's being kept? There's a storage vault at Viscount's headquarters, the runner said. It's on the fourth sky level, about three clicks north of the citadel. The place is a fortress. They use the office as a demonstrator for their top-of-the-line security systems. The office walls are laced with lead and wrought iron, even some mithril inlay at key points. Magically, the whole place is a black box when it's locked down. I'm guessing Sai won't go through those walls, either. Probably not, Sasha admitted, looking at Brian. I won't be able to coordinate with you once you're inside. We'll manage, Brian said. What about the vault itself? Three layers of protection, Callie said. Magic wards, electronic card reader, and a physical combination lock. Brian and Fiona exchanged a glance. The electronic security doesn't concern me, Brian said, and Fiona can take care of the physical locks, but Trace Umbara was our expert on arcane countermeasures, and we don't have time to find a replacement. He sent an unspoken question to Fiona. She frowned and narrowed her eyes, but she nodded, grudgingly. Fiona tells me that you have some impressive talents in that area yourself. Do you think you could take down Viscount's wards? Callie's body language became wary. You want me to go in with you? Absolutely. We can pay you well for the help if that's what you're worried about. It's not. Her expression turned thoughtful. Everybody on the fringe says that Viscount can't be cracked. It's just too hard to get inside without leaving a trail, and if you do set off an alarm, you're not getting out again. 
a slow smile spread across her face. Then again, people have said that about other places I've been, and nothing helps your rep like doing the impossible. She nodded. I'll give you everything I know about the place. If you can figure out a way to get us inside, and you can afford my fee, I'm game. And how much is your fee? Fiona asked. Callie cocked her head to one side and looked up at the ceiling. Job like this? You're talking about some serious hazard pay. A hundred K up front, plus another hundred if we have to fight any of Westerson's goon squad. Brian frowned. I'll get you the two hundred whether there's a firefight or not, but I can only give you fifty up front. If we get what we came for, you get the other hundred fifty as soon as we're safe, wired to an account of your choice. If all we manage is getting out alive, you'll still get another fifty for your trouble. He smiled grimly. Call it an incentive to stick it out if things turn ugly. Callie looked each of them in the eye for a few seconds, then nodded. All right, that's fair. Good, Brian said, folding his hands in front of him. One other thing. Since we're actually working this job with you, I want the same protection you extend to your fellow runners. Anyone asks, you don't tell them anything about who hired you or who you worked with. Callie made a sound of disagreement. It's not that easy, Summers. You may be working this op, but that doesn't make you a runner. If you take anything in that vault and the vamps trace it back to me, the only way I'll be able to save my own skin is if I give them the name of my employer. If you want my silence, you've got to give me your word that this is a look-see operation only. Copy whatever you want, but you don't steal anything tangible, and you don't smash anything. Sasha could tell that her cellmates didn't like that any more than she did. Brian's eyes narrowed, and Rebecca opened her mouth to protest, until Brian put a hand on her arm to stop her. Fiona's expression and posture didn't change, but Sasha saw the flaring of her nostrils and the subtle tightening of the muscles around her eyes. "'Consensus?' Sasha asked telepathically. "'A no-touch rule is going to seriously cut down on the damage we can do to the vamps,' Brian said, sounding irritated. "'I was hoping to set a few viruses loose in their network, bomb them from the inside.' "'And the whole point of this is that we were supposed to get what's in that box,' Rebecca said. "'Not the whole point,' Sasha said. "'If we can get the data files and find out what was in that box, won't that be good enough to make the elders happy?' I'm not sure that there's any way to make the elders happy right now, Rebecca said, her thoughts sounding uncharacteristically bitter. Sasha is right, Fiona said. The box was small and light. Logic suggests that it contained a prototype, or a demonstration for whatever was described in the files. If we can obtain that information, we can probably consider the box expendable. Her emerald eyes focused on Brian. And there may be wisdom in not escalating the conflict with the Syndicate any more than necessary. Making an example of Viscount would be a public embarrassment to them, and would likely invite retaliation. A wave of cold fear ran through the rest of them at that thought. Up until now, the Hive's skirmishes with Malcolm's organization had been small, and only minimally disruptive, an exchange of petty slights and minor inconveniences. Blowing up Viscount's network could change all that, 
and the odds were good that the vamps would not be overly discriminating in their retaliation. Damn it, Brian said, but Sasha could tell he agreed with Fiona's assessment of the situation. All right, so we do it her way. Any objections? There were none. They pulled their attention out of the link and back to the runner in front of them. It's a deal, Brian said. He extended his palm toward Callie, and she clasped it. Out of curiosity, she asked, why are we even trying to do this? You couldn't steal this package when it was out in the open. What makes you think we're going to be able to get it out of one of the most heavily defended vaults in the city? Brian smiled thinly. In my experience, it's when people's secrets are behind locks and alarms that they become the most complacent about looking after them, he said. And besides, this time we'll have luck on our side. And that's the end of Chapter 20. Come back next time when Danny tries to adjust to life as an androgyne. Stephen King said, What is writing? Writing is telepathy. So, step inside my mind for a while. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of March 6th to March 12th. I wrote 2,022 words this week, over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 578 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 327 days without breaking my chain. This week, I continued my quasi-vacation from writing. I worked on the podcast and my recording scripts over the course of four days, and on the other three days, I wrote a little bit more on my Natasha story, Learning the Ropes. I took the first few scenes that I wrote for the story and moved them to a different file for later use. I added a little over 1,500 words to the story this week, and it's now just over 3,000 words again. I'm reminded that writing short stories is actually a very different skill set from writing novels, and it's one that I'm out of practice on. I'm probably going to have to do a bunch more trimming and streamlining on this one later to keep it from getting too large. I also, to be honest, played a lot of Mass Effect this week. I gushed about this series in the last week's episode, so I won't make you listen to a bunch more of that here. At the time I'm writing this, I just finished the first game, after a total playtime of about 36 hours. And yes, the ending was still thrilling, even knowing what was coming. It's amazing how satisfying this game can be, even 14 years later. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new patron this week. Please welcome Amanda. If you like what I'm doing on this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the very best way to support me. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive Metamore City bonus art, as well as my behind-the-episode commentaries on past stories. If you pledge $3 a month or more, you'll get access to the first draft of Honor Bound and the other stories in the House of Bellevue series, plus sneak peeks, cover reveals, art previews, and other cool stuff. You can make your pledges month to month, 
or you can prepay for a year in advance and get one month for free. And if you live in Australia, Canada, the EU, or the UK, you can even make your pledge in your local currency, so you'll never have to worry about exchange rates changing your pledge from month to month. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. Roughly 90% of what you donate goes directly to me, which is a better return than I get from any other outlet for my fiction. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.